Well, the Taliban are now on the containers uh, above, well, beyond the British lines. Um, things have calmed down quite a lot. I think that people are beginning to understand that if they're rioting or they're shouting and screaming and rushing at the front, there's no way they can get any work done. So the processing is taking place here. So that's the British side. We're now moving up here. Now, this is going towards the Americans. There's people, this has been, this pen has been slightly emptied. I think this is the area where they go into the United States. Uh, they're getting processed. We now know that the United States will only accept people with either passports, visas or green cards, pretty much everyone else, they're on their own because they can't really cope with the numbers that are trying to get into the States. It was always a lot more than the United Kingdom. But have a look at this in here. These people have been here for uh, days probably. I mean, it is actually quite remarkable. Thousands upon thousands are in here. They're surrounded by American soldiers on some side, and these are, these are Brit soldiers here who are assisting. And they're somewhat penned in um, while they do try to go through the process period. You know, it is calmer than it was yesterday. It was hard, hard yesterday, but much, much better today. As I said, the message has to get through to the people that if, you're, if you don't do as you told them, you don't just wait. There is no way they can process anyone. But it is pretty miserable in there. It's not much water. They've been there for hours, some of them days. And all the time you get that sense that, you know, this air operation, this relief operation has a limited time in it. There's much discussion amongst the politicians as to whether it can be extended. A lot of that will to do with what the Taliban has to say. But it's, uh, it's, it's, it's grim work. It's karma. But that could change any time. Could change it any time. So that's the latest from Kabul Airport. You only know, noticed there, there's no masks. Where are all the masks? No COVID. COVID is suspended this week. Oh, in Afghanistan? Yeah. Not just the British Parliament. Right. They didn't have any masks on? No, sir. So this is the first time in two years the entire British Parliament sat. Uh, and with for the first time in six years, we're united on one issue. Unanimous vote in the British Parliament. With no masks. No mask, no social distancing. They suspended COVID because this clearly is more important. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. Temporarily, anyway. So it's only what's important, really. I mean, if something more important comes along than COVID, then, then COVID, COVID is bye bye. COVID is is relegated to the the importance that it really always had and has today, which is not very important at all, except no. in the sense of giving an opportunity for governments to, you know, have fun with controlling the population. And yeah. selling them vaccines up the wazoo. Playing around with viruses, selling vaccines. Selling vaccines up the wazoo and boost booster shots and fourth booster shots. Uh, yeah, so you may notice my uh, esteemed uh, mater mother is here again today. Um, Hi, Patsy. She's she's here to get all the lowdown on whether she should or should not be getting booster shots ad infinitum going forward for um, years to come, every six months. Uh, she's not sure, but she's going to find out uh, in on this show today whether it's a good idea or not. Um, so yeah, pa pa Pakistan. Uh, uh, not Pakistan. We'll talk about pa Pakistan in a minute, but Afghanistan. Uh, yeah. Um, you notice that it's pretty calm. Yeah, that wasn't uh, histrionic reporting that some reports, including his own, have given in the last over the last week. Yeah. Um, and he suggested it may not last long. Mm. i.e. the Taliban are at the gates, the barbarians are at the gates. But I think it's pretty clear after seven days that the Taliban are not about to do anything crazy. No, you know what all those people are doing there? They're all trying to get into America. Uh -huh. 
they're not trying to get away from the Taliban. They're trying to get into, get into America because there's some suggestion, and there has been some reports that prior to or around the time that they left, that the Americans left, that they were handing out blank uh, visa certificates, visa forms, whatever, or visa cards, basically, that, you, that people could fill in themselves. Just blank, fill in your name, you've got a visa to come, come to America. So that was their, you know, they left the... I'll have to look into it, but I think, I mean, it sounds plausible as to why all these people would suddenly think that they need to, to, um, they need to leave Kabul, you know, and, you know, there's lots of context that people need to remember about, uh, about the situation. Kabul is a city of about 5 million people. As many people as you see in these reports at the airport, you're talking about thousands. You're talking about a fraction of 1% of the population of Kabul at that airport. Mm. So a fraction of 1% of the population of Kabul are actually trying to get to America. And they're probably the ones who have uh, some kind of a pass or some kind of a visa that was given to them beforehand. Um, yeah, or family in America. Right. Yeah, or some, some kind of a justification that they think... Uh, or they worry that their work with yeah. the old regime um, will be noticed by mm. the Taliban. And that their lives are at stake. Possibly. I mean, I mean, well, there's there's real terror at the airport too. People have died in the crush. They've been panicked. Yeah. Well, initially, the, the first reports of people being shot were shot by U.S. soldiers. Mm -hmm. Five people were shot by U.S. soldiers. So what were they trying to do? I don't know. But yeah, you hear you hear a lot of reference to um, interpreters. Let's get our interpreters out. These people who have interpreters, like Afghans who have worked with, uh, work with the Americans all these years or over a number of years recently, and in their employ. And you hear interpreters, translators. The problem with interpreters and translators are is that's a nice term in that context. It's a nice term for collaborators, basically, or, or people who actually turned against, you know, in a certain sense, turned against their own people, or at least turned against informants the Taliban. Even. Yeah, they're informants. They're people who would go to houses uh, with American soldiers uh, and be involved in interrogations, possibly, but also involved in gathering information about from the population and giving it to the Americans. Oh, yeah. so the Americans can then go and, you know, well, the CIA handed out God knows how much in hard dollars over the last 20 years in cash as bait. Come right. tell us anything, anything at all about yeah. anyone. Yeah. And uh, so you see all this. That would entice people. Yeah, for sure. But you see all these bleeding hearts on Twitter uh, talking about, you get these interpreters and the people have served us so well and stuff. Yeah. How did they, they served you, but who, I mean, how, how, how do ordinary people or how do some people in Afghanistan look on those people? I mean, it's a complicated situation. There's no nuance or no understanding, mm. no real thinking involved in, in for, for the most part, from the media or from the Twitterati uh, when they're commenting on this. Uh, they don't really understand the situation. They don't think about it in, in, in real terms. They just think about it in their ideological uh, black and white. Yeah, they, terms, they you know? see them and they go behind the dish dab and the man dress is an American just bursting to get out. Right. That's why he's desperately, yeah. desperately trying to get to the States. For sure, yeah. Um, it's not that simple. I I don't want to say anything that's, uh, again, large brushes and stuff, but in parallel, what's unsaid by the Twitterati is that uh, it's a fact that in Europe, by far, the single largest migrant-slash-refugee group that commits crimes in Europe in the last five years plus are Afghanis, not the Syrians or anything like that. So what's the the, part, the the quiet part that has not been said is that there's also a counter pressure coming from European governments, uh, European peoples anyway, and the United States as well, to not let 
tens of thousands of people yeah. coming in. So. Well, they've had a bad experience with uh, yeah. refugees. Over the, a lot of people have a bad Some people have a good experience with refugees over the past number of years, but a lot of them have had bad experiences with refugees, mm-hmm. especially in Germany and, well, in European countries that allowed a large number of them in. You know, if you remember, I know news cycles. You really only, what are, they, what are news cycles now? Five minutes now? Well, they're a day, maybe two days. You ask people to remember a couple of years ago, it's like, huh? I don't remember what happened a couple of years ago. Uh, but if you think hard, you can remember uh, refugee crises um, and also mm. in different countries in Europe, a large number of refugees coming in, setting up camps in, in Paris, for example, camps, uh, tents all along uh, boulevards in Paris, for example, mm-hmm. and stuff. But speaking of the Taliban, Scotty, there's a jinhuanet.com article I just want to pull up. Um, it's just uh, from today. That sounds Chinese. It is Joe, Chinese. That's propaganda. <laughs> I know. It's, Don't it's, open it, Scotty. It's, it's the Chai Coms. Jinhua.net uh, is uh, probably the only one we have there from that particular website. It is a Chinese outlet. Um, it's in the group I sent you. Ah. I can't find it because it's right in front of my oh, nose. There you go, cause it's right in front of you. Uh, Taliban vows to have ties with all countries, denies kidnapping of foreigners at Kabul airport. So this is just a counter to the claims you're seeing from um, Western media over the past number of days. And if you just scroll, just scroll down to the first uh, highlighted text there, just a few bullet points. The Taliban said it intended to have diplomatic and trade ties with all countries around the world, including the United States. Uh, Taliban official denied reports that foreign nationals were kidnapped near the Kabul airport. Uh, and U.S. President Joe Biden once again defended this decision for the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan. Um, yeah, so that's basically, you know, the Taliban seem to be, uh, you know, striking a fairly uh, moderate tone, uh, not just in word but in, in action. Yeah, uh, they don't, they aren't doing anything horrible to people at uh, at Kabul airport they're allowing they could do a lot worse obviously and they're not they've so. stated multiple times there'll be no recriminations and so on right today well yesterday probably Afghanistan time they were in talks with Hamid Karzai former puppet president US installed mm-hmm. president and former um, he was on the board of some oil company Unical. Unical. he was yeah. at the beginning just before so before uh, 9-11, mm. uh, Unicol was uh, an oil company and there were other oil companies, American and, and British oil companies involved in um, conversations, dialogue, meetings with Taliban representatives at the time in Afghanistan, so about 2000, late 1990s, uh, 2000, about having building a pipeline uh, across Afghanistan down to the, uh, down to the Persian Gulf and... Um, Apparently the Taliban, I don't know, uh, they were offered, a, the, the famous quote is that they were offered a carpet of a carpet of bombs or a carpet of gold or a carpet of bombs, gold being the revenues from oil or a carpet of bombs. This was a kind of threat. If you don't let us in to do what we want to do in terms of our uh, geopolitical policies that... American government's geopolitical policies in the region, if you don't facilitate those then, and the Taliban were, they dithered too long or they prevaricated a bit too long and um, and I think a different agenda anyway um, supplanted that plan to to make a deal with the Taliban because there's a plan to, the people who wanted to have a presence in Afghanistan 
um, a military presence for a, a long term, uh, they kind of prevailed. Uh, so I don't think those talks were ever really going to go anywhere. And obviously 9-11 became the justification for uh, the invasion of Afghanistan, which, as we mentioned on our previous shows, I think, last week, that that, that was very much a, a part of um, <coughs> Western and particularly U.S. geopolitical goals and aims for well, for its empire and for the world, basically, for, for that for that part of the world. Um, so anyway, yeah, Hamid Karzai, he's been he's, yeah, he's chatting. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't flee, flee the country. He was in his in retirement in his big house. Yeah. Don't know where exactly, maybe outskirts of Kabul. Yeah. And he's in his home. He's got Taliban seated next to him. Yeah. They're all dressed alike. They're all saying, talking alike, you know, peace, rebuilding the country, yada, yada. He, um, another small datum, the guy who fled, Ashraf Ghani, popped up in Oman. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, man. Where else are you going to go? But uh, another oil-rich Saudi state, mm-hmm. uh, Gulf state. Um, <clears throat> his brother does a signing it, a swearing-in ceremony where his brother, also Ghani, formally, I don't know, some did some swearing-in, formally joined the Taliban. So he didn't flee. And these guys, you know, they're all connected. I mean, Karzai, Karzai, is, he's a smart player. He's been around since the beginning. You know, he was involved in negotiating the first arrival of the first incarnation of the Taliban in 1994 mm-hmm. to try and end. And it did work, actually. It ended a civil war in the early 90s mm-hmm. in Afghanistan. So that by 1996, they were consolidated under one government, mm-hmm. the Taliban version one. But their entrance into the country from Pakistan was negotiated by Hamid Karzai. Mm-hmm. Then, I think, living in the US. Yeah, he was on the board of that oil company, Unicol. Um, so it's he, the same figures that pop up. Him, there's two big people we need to look at, but not uh, in general. On an ongoing basis, there are two figures. Hamid Karzai is one because of his connections. And the other one is probably more powerful. Um, Kalazad, is that his mm-hmm. name? Zalme Kalazad or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. We talked about him last through, week. Through yeah. Neocon. Yeah. Signatory to that infamous PNAC document. These are, the, these are famous. These are the type of people. They're basically expats. They're basically former, you know, because there's a long history that people really you can't Afghan remember, elites, you, you genuine can't, Afghan elites. You can't understand any of this unless you understand the history going back really to until really to the, 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 sec, the end of the Second World War, after the immediate aftermath of the Second World War. You have to understand all of that to understand what's happening today. It's the same with anything, really. You have to understand history to understand where you are today. But, um, yeah. Um, we were live last week um, when there was breaking news that the Taliban were in the palace and yeah. Ghani had fled. Yeah. And we were just, I mean, we just about got the first images right. of so and week, comparisons yeah. being made between Saigon, yeah. the... Uh, ignoble exit of the United States from Vietnam and Southeast Asia. And, uh, yeah, we commented on how remarkably similar, symbolically, Mm -hmm. the looks, the optics were. Subsequent events, like the next three or four days, (laughs) I mean, we we were understating the matter as to how it, as I said it last week, if you were scripting the worst possible look for an exit, this is what you would do. Yeah with America being the bad guy, the fall guy, mm-hmm. held in contempt by, well, its allies, yep. allies and foes alike. Well, laughed at by his foes, but mm-hmm. held in contempt by its mm-hmm. allies. 
And yeah, it's been an incredible week of just that. And the question: very little dissidence, or you know, there can be no dissidence. It's almost like reality slammed uh, head first into the reality creation of the last twenty years, and it's so strong. It's so everyone agrees, more or less. This is reality. This has taken place, and then the hand wringing and the, the reasons why. Well, they all go off on the, their own angle and slant and reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's been a, a remarkable week in the unanimous agreement from CNN to Trump supporters, from the British Parliament to heck. American and British allies in the region mm-hmm. around Afghanistan mm-hmm. as to what has just taken place. Similarly, though, this What's the unanimous, the consensus agrees that they don't understand what just happened. Mm-hmm. And that Biden is responsible. Right. What happened there? Why? What's going on? Like, it's, it's, but maybe, maybe what I've just said answers that already. Maybe it's as simple as it looks. It's, it's so strong. The media and Biden's people, the deep state, etc., well, cannot. We have to bl- can't help them. We have to blame somebody. It looks pretty bad, so you have to blame somebody. I mean, your people have fallen off planes. I mean, when you have consider America's image and the image that America has for most Americans, let's say, of what what they do around the world, right? They spread freedom and democracy. That's the narrative. The very childish, silly, stupid, ignorant narrative that people have held on to for, for decades that America, when it's, when it's military is around the world, it's simply spreading freedom and democracy. That's all it is. There is no selfish intent, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the American government is the only group of people in the world that the rest of the people in the world do not ascribe any selfish intent to whatsoever. They're immune. They're some kind of saints, right? That's, I mean, there, there can never be any selfish intent, any self-serving motivation on the part of the American government when it sends its military overseas. It's always for good. It's always to do the best thing. And if it gets messed up, well, that's just unfortunate and we can always blame the people that we tried to free. That they just Freedom just didn't take with them, you know what I mean? Which is a reasonable enough narrative to some extent, but, you know, it's obviously very, very, very stupid and, and, and childish, right? Um, but the question as to... So, so that image that they have of America and then the image, the, the contrasting image of an American military plane flying up into the air and two or three people falling off it to their deaths, clinging on to it. You probably couldn't get anything more contrasting with the idea that American military presence around the world is about freedom and democracy, right? I mean... It's it's almost there's something very poignant about it in a certain sense because it, you could almost spin it as we brought so much freedom and democracy and instilled so much freedom and democracy into these Afghanis that they were willing to risk their lives and lose their lives in order to to, to get some of that freedom and democracy. You know what I mean? Just the mere presence of American the American military and the American system in Afghanistan over so many years was absorbed by these Afghanis and they just decided that it was better to die uh, or risk death to get back home. On But then also the problem is it's, it's a very negative image as well because it's, it's reckless, it's negligent, it's not doing the right thing, right? That's, all, that's the fairy story version of it, right? The reality probably is in terms of wh- why this happened because the big question comes up is 
the US, as we mentioned in the show last week, negotiated um, negotiated an agreement with the Taliban 18 months ago to basically hand power over to them initially by May this year and then extended by Biden to end of August this year, after a few more months. Mm-hmm. So they had basically 18 months. So a plan is unfolding. A plan has been unfolding over 18 months. So at, at what point did you decide to leave thousands of American and Western citizens uh, in, in Kabul, in Afghanistan in general, but mainly in Kabul, and, and also any people that you had promised or that you had a, a responsibility to, to, to give them visas or take them back home? At what point did you just leave them there? What point was the decision made to leave them there? How could you have factored that in where you would just leave them? You leave, the military leaves, all the, 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 the military, industrial, whatever, government apparatus leaves, but leaves all the, all the civilian, a lot of civilian contractors and a lot of civilian and their families. And like I said, Afghanis there. How did that happen? That's the big question that nobody is answering. Lots of hand-wringing and questioning about it and stuff. I mean, if Joe Biden even asked directly, you know, more or less that question, and he, he turns around and says, that was four or five days ago, you know, when yeah, those people have fallen off planes. After three, four days where incognito, yeah. Joe Biden just People have probably missing. seen it, but we want to play it? Yeah, let's All play right. it, because it's so bad, but it's historic. Tell um, it up there. His interview with George Stephanopoulos on ABC News on Wednesday? Yeah. Thursday? I think it was three or four days afterwards. Right. Um... Can you find it, Scott? Um, ABC. There it is. <clears throat> I think it's a YouTube clip. It's just three minutes of it. And it's devastating. And this is the edited version. Someone pointed out the transcript released by the White House actually has worse exchanges. Yeah. So we ABC, before they published this, on TV news and then on, on the internet, made sure it was just... Just the worst, just the, the best least the worst, worst the least worst parts, yeah. Um, um, but it's not just him, though. I mean, the whole, the White House as a whole was silent. Whenever a statement was issued, uh, the State Department was saying one thing and the Pentagon was saying another. And then an anonymous White House source said a third thing. Like, they seem to be genuinely in a kerfuffle here. How does that happen? Well, they, you, I think that the, the point... On the surface, this is what it looks like. Beginning on August 5th, the Taliban rapidly started taking provincial capital after provincial capital. Mm-hmm. By August 15th, they're walking into the palace in Kabul. That's right. 10 days. Right. The plain fact chronology there is that they were surprised by the speed with which it happened. No, they weren't surprised by any of that. Obviously, they weren't surprised by any of that. I mean, they knew. I mean, they've been in the country for 20 years. Yeah. They know their enemy very well. They know where the Taliban are. They know that with over the past uh, year, basically, they've only had 2,500 troops along with the quote-unquote Afghan army that completely kind of disappeared whenever those 25 American, 2,500 American troops left. As many as 15,000. And the infrastructure leaves um, that army of supposedly 300,000 men just collapses. I mean, that's, that's pretty remarkable, right? You've trained over how many years? 300,000 soldiers and they suddenly just disappear overnight? Uh, obviously, the, 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 the US government, uh, you know, in, individual, indivi- the people who are overseeing the occupation of Afghanistan, the mission 
I should say. It's called a mission, right? It's kind of like a religious thing, a mission. A mission. Yeah. The religious mission. missionary type. The religious mission, American mission in Afghanistan. They know very well the situation. They know what's going to happen. They plan for it for 18 months. They know what the Taliban are going to do. And they probably agreed it with them. Yeah, that's, so well, the that's question, what we have to ask. But, but the answer to that that's question is, is the, the question here is not uh, why were all those people left there? It's that, well, that is the question. And the answer to it is, or, or the question rather is, why are we having all these scenes of mm. people clamoring, you know, massive crowds, you know, uh, gunfire, you know, chaos at the airport and people falling off planes and stuff as they tried to, that's what they didn't expect. That's the only thing they didn't expect. They didn't expect that there'd be so many people and it's mostly uh, Afghanis desperately trying to get out. Of course, they, you well, know, there are 40,000 Western people well, who are also trying to get out. Germany's got 7,000 people alone yeah. and they haven't made a dent but sending planes. That, but that, the thing is that would have preceded Normally, the, the 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 evacuation of those people—not evacuation, the just the, the, the repatriation, the coming home—could have proceeded normally, and probably would have proceeded normally, and was part of the agreement with the Taliban. Taliban that that would proceed yeah. in a normal, calm, orderly fashion, except for the fact you had that you had masses, relative, very small percentage of the population of Kabul, but a significant number of people nonetheless, who all desperately wanted to get out. As well, they were the ones who weren't told. You know, the ordinary people of 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 of, of who who were in some way associated with the with the, the, the American occupation of Afghanistan, or and even ones that weren't, because like I said, people were apparently there was there were people handing out visas basically uh, to to all and sundry. You could blank visas, fill in your name, and you can come to America. And they probably didn't expect the 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 crowd, the large numbers of people who would flood the airport. And would, and had that reaction of, of a kind of a desperation and a fear, maybe fear, maybe I don't even know if it was fear. People think that they're spending it in the media as fear of the Taliban. I mm -hmm. think it was desperation to go to America. I don't want to be left here. Sure, a little bit of fear of what kind of situation, what kind right. of what kind of rule the Taliban would impose. But they wanted to leave the country, and they they, they saw this as a last opportunity to leave the country. And I mean, you know, you're talking about the madness of crowds here in a certain sense. I mean, you can explain the chaos at that airport just by the madness of crowds, everybody rushing an airport to try and get on planes that weren't available. And that, it was that crowd that wasn't expected by the Americans when they left. They didn't expect that their leaving would have that, uh, would, would provoke that response. Are you suggesting that's the only X factor in this? That yeah. The only thing that threw it off? Yeah. Okay. But then That's wh the why were, Occam's razor explanation. Why why did Biden and Blinken the and the chief defense um, Lloyd why do they all look like they have they look like deer in the headlights. Yeah, they have they done are. since last Sunday. Because they weren't expecting it. Ah, so this was thrown in there. They didn't anticipate this. So but nobody did. Even the one No, no, what I mean is that they didn't expect to be leaving Afghanistan. No, they did. They knew by the, August fifteenth. Uh, no, they did. Of course, they knew they were leaving Afghanistan. They didn't expect the response from, like I said, a very small percentage, a fraction of one percent of the population of, of Kabul. But you have to remember, the population of Kabul is about five million people. Mm -hmm. So, take one, what's one percent of five million people? It's somebody do the math for me. I don't know. Anyway, 
It's a lot. It's it's a bunch. See, right? okay, so, but to follow through, that that is simple and neat. It makes sense. But let me just test it a bit. It means that on August fifteenth, they knew that the Taliban was going to be in the palace roughly that day, and declaring victory or whatever, and a new beginning of a new regime. There wasn't much triumphalism. And that thereafter, then, would only begin the evacuation of 40,000 or so American Well, I, yeah, I don't citizens. know, 40,000. I haven't heard the number 40,000, but like I mean... Like I've heard it's high. Like Germany has 7,000. I mean, a lot yeah. of NGOs. Yeah. But that could have all proceeded normally on an agreement with the Taliban. I mean, maybe you could say it was risky or whatever, but like I said, they signed an agreement with the Taliban mm. 18 months ago for a transfer of power. And over the past 18 months, that transfer of power has been proceeding. Yeah. Although not directly. The, the transfer of power largely involved the U.S. getting its stuff, its ducks in a row, its, its organizing its, its, all of its infrastructure in Afghanistan to, to leave. And you, it's definitely going to take that amount of time to, get, to, 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 to remove that entire infrastructure, all the stuff that they need to get out of there. And they did so over up until basically July, July this year. And that's when, you know, Biden was asked and he said, no, it's not going to end up like Saigon. It's not. It's all going to be fine. Well, because the people telling him what to say in, in, July, in July when he said it's not going to be Saigon, mm -hmm. which is precisely what it was. Yeah. Why were they misleading him? They weren't misleading him. They didn't know either. Well, who knows? Nobody. Because the people who tell Biden is more than happy to say whatever the deep state yeah. slash shadow government slash whatever it is, CIA intelligence committee wants him to say. Yeah. So you're suggesting that the people who agreed this deliberately misled the president no. so that he would look like an absolute no. idiot. No, I'm not saying that. Not, they didn't know either. Nobody knew. Nobody expected that the US leaving in this way would provoke this kind of a reaction from, like I said, a small percentage of the right. population of, of Kabul, who, well, that they would rush the airport. And when you rush an airport, that's it. How are you going to... I mean, they're on the freaking runway. How do you get flights out of an airport? How does your orderly... They have to send in helicopters. How does your orderly of transition of removing people that you expect to remove after the military's gone, now let's deal with the civilians and the, and the civilian contractors and stuff like that and other personnel that, first and foremost, US citizens. How do you get planes in and out uh, to take those people out? There's maybe, like you said, up to 40,000. I don't know if there's that, that many, but at least 10,000 10, plus, 15,000, 20,000 you're going to need quite a lot of flights in and out over a period of several days to get all those people out and you do it calmly and there's no rush. But how do you get those planes to fly in and land and, and take off from, from Kabul airport when the, air, when the runway is covered in, t of, in tens of thousands of Afghanis who all want to go too but aren't eligible? And they're pretty desperate and they're demanding that they get to go as well. So all it takes for the situation to happen is the, is the, is the, the naivety and the lack of reading of the situation by the American... National security state as a whole. Whoever, yeah. who are reading the situation, uh, to, to miss that, that, that to, to not expect that eventuality, that you'd have that response. And they can just, like I said at the beginning of the show, they can turn around and say, well, it just shows you, freedom of democracy really is uh, appealing to these people, you know, at least some of them. But 0.1% of the population of Kabul <laughs> took with them, just not the rest. So where's the rest of the population of Kabul? I mean, I keep stressing that fact. Five million people. How many people do you see at the airport? You're not talking hundreds of thousands. You're talking tens of thousands. Still, when you see tens of thousands of people at an airport, that's a lot of people at one point at an airport. Tens of thousands, maybe 30,000, 40,000 people in an airport. That's still only a tiny percentage of the population of Kabul. Where's the rest of them? Out of five million. Where are the other 490... Where are the other 4,900... 
and 60,000 people if you allow for 40 at the airport. Okay, that's, that's people. American people, interpreters in quotes, and whoever else. That's the people. What about the, quote, billions and billions worth of US military equipment? That's all gone already. That's all been gone. That's, well, they left some. They, they left Humvees and all That's gone with the understanding the Taliban would have it. Yeah, I think so. That was probably part of, and again, the uh, media the saying, there's, there's put out numbers of 2,000 Humvees. It wasn't a lot, you know. 2,000 Humvees, a bunch of weapons, guns, that kind of stuff. But, I mean, yeah, when the, when the US military is gone, like there, and, and the British military and other major militaries that were there in, in, in smaller quantities, when they're all gone, and you have to remember there's a massive infrastructure there. Like It's not just, it's not Kabul, there's a... What do you call it? Um, Bagram Air Base, you know. Um, Bagram Air Base. Go and look at Google Mac, Maps at Bagram Air Base. It's been there quite a long time. It was back in Soviet times, or even before Soviet times, when it was first built. But it's been massively expanded. Freaking McDonald's and Quickie Mart. <clears throat> I don't know. Dunkin' Donuts, <clears throat> uh, Chipotle. The whole lot. It was like a city, right? I mean, there's a whole the whole strip mall. Yeah. I mean, you have to understand the, the extent, the of, scale of, of the scale of the <clears throat> of the of the of, of one point installment that they had there. You know, and they were they were shipping in crates of cash <coughs> in the two yeah. thousands, billions in cash. And to, so to rem- you remove all that takes takes a long time. You need eighteen months, and uh, and of course the military uh, aspect of it is <coughs> is the most important. You're shipping out all your military equipment, <coughs> so when they if it's true that there's 2,000 Humvees left there, they were left on purpose. And yeah. Humvees aren't really used, much use. They're glorified cars, right? They're just like armoured cars. They're not, you know, what are you going to do with 2,000 Humvees? They have a bunch of rifles, a bunch of weapons, but I've seen the videos of the Taliban showing the stuff that they, that they, they got. It, it's insignificant. Uh, so that was all left on purpose. That's not some, that's, that doesn't feed into the idea of those, this, this, this was some kind of a moonlight, moonlight flit a moonlight escape type thing. It's ridiculous. It doesn't fit with, the, with what we know to be the fact is that 18 months ago they signed a deal to transfer power to the, to the Taliban. They had plenty of time to do everything, to get everything out of there that they wanted. And they did get everything out of there that they wanted, including most of their personnel. And then, you know, so the first, inform, the first thing you do as part of a plan, the Taliban are allowed to, re, obviously are going to retake different cities and stuff. And as they come towards Kabul, you want to make sure by the time they get to Kabul, just from the point of view of there not being any mistakes or any issues, you want your military presence to be down to zero, including personnel and all, all equipment. So you don't want them to take it, and you don't want any of your American or other military personnel to be there. So they're all gone. Taliban have agreed, everyone will be cool, because <clears throat> they're being given back the country. So they're fine. They say, listen, we've got a, we'll have a bunch of people still there uh, that are just kind of wrapping up, you know, the ones kind of like turning off the lights and locking the doors and stuff. We'll, need, we'll get those out uh, after you're there, I'm sure we'll have an agreement with, with you that there'll be no problems. And the Taliban have said that there'll be no problem with anybody who wants to leave the country, leaving the country. That was, they're voicing an aspect of the agreement that was made 18 months ago. The, the, the wild card in all of this is a Shiite load, no pun intended, because they're mostly sunny, a Shiite load of Afghanis rushing the airport and causing the scenes that we saw that no one expected. Is it, okay, got it. Is it possible that in addition they did not expect the Afghan National Army slash government behind it to fall so fast? No, they probably did. That was part of it. I'm sure they I had say that. that as, I say that because in the Financial Times' recap of similarly historic moments, mm. they say, they write, uh, it was three years after the Soviet withdrawal in 89, that its Kabul ally fell in 92. 
it was two years after the US military left Vietnam before Saigon fell. So th the regime in Seoul can last a bit longer than... Well, you said yourself last week. Here it seemed to fall in advance. Its fall precipitated the departure. You said yourself last week that at the, at the meeting between the Trump administration, quote-unquote the Trump administration, yeah. but really the State Department and the Washington establishment types, the one, the career diplomats, all this kind of stuff, the meeting in, 2000, in, in February 2020, 18 mm -hmm. months ago, that handed power basically transition over to the Taliban, that the existing government, the puppet US we're puppet not government, were not involved. That makes it very clear at that point that the expectation was that this government and its associated military were not going to be involved in any of this. So the idea that they fail and all this kind of stuff is nonsense. They know that the they, they were just going to walk away. Yeah. You know, a lot of them did actually leave. And I mean, they took it upon themselves. I suppose they could leave it up to them. Ultimately, if you think about it from the U.S. perspective, it's, they're saying, listen, so they probably disarmed most of the 300,000 uh, so-called Afghan army. Even if we, I don't even think it was 300,000. It's, it's like a dodgy figure, like in terms of actual effective military personnel, yeah. probably not true. There was, there was maybe 50 or 60 of them. Not a shot was fired, though. Yeah, 50 or 60 of them actually flew planes, different types of dodgy planes. Remember, there was no, they weren't flying any F-22s or any uh, uh, Raptors or, or, or F-16s even. They were flying like kind of trainer planes and small, like, you know, rusting old uh, uh, fighter jets and um, helicopters that flew them over into Uzbekistan, about 50 or so, and that was it. And, of course, you can't keep track of everything, you know what I mean? So there's a few bits and pieces left behind. And those guys just decided they wanted to, to get out of there. They didn't, it was up to each individual to decide how they were going to look. Were they going to they going to blend back into society, take off their military fatigues and blend back into society? They were going to join the Taliban or what were they going to do? Were they going to, how were they going to be looked at by the Taliban? Some of them, obviously, you're talking about a lot of people and each makes their own decision as to whether or not they're going to want to stay around. And some of them left. So when Joe Biden is saying in July to reporters... No, this is absolutely not going to be a Saigon moment. And part of his defense against what even CNN reporters could see, the writing on the wall, was that, no, there's a 300,000 strong, probably inflated figure of Afghan National Army. They're well-trained, well-equipped. To do what? Fight the Taliban? So he was leaving them to fight the Taliban? Why, would he, why did Joe Biden et al. set up the dis... Did they unwillingly exacerbate the momentousness of what took place last week because they completely held the line on an information reality right up until the footage was coming in last mm -hmm. Sunday? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He lied. He knew better. He, well, but then this week he looks like he... <laughs> again, the, you have to remember the only thing that looked bad was all of those people at Kabul Airport. All of the footage you're seeing is people at Kabul Airport. Well, there's also the fact that what he was boasting was that, no, 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 the regime isn't, is, the, isn't the, about to fall. That's ridiculous. Yeah, he said that in July. Yeah. It's not about to fall. It's not going to happen. There's going to be some kind of orderly transition. What is that? Orderly, orderly transition to what? Look at the terms of the agreement. It's an orderly, orderly transition to the Taliban taking control of the country. So in that situation, what do those so-called supposed 300,000 Afghan troops that are basically part of a puppet regime, what do they do? Do they fight the Taliban? Well, they didn't. Do they join them? At all. Well, they, but, but in that situation, were they expect, was Joe Biden saying that? He didn't explain it, but what was, in, what, was the, what was the narrative there? What was implied was that the Taliban are evil and that they would fight to defend that their they would homeland. fight to defend this 
government against that the this US had terrorist set up scourge. for them. Yeah, well, apparently not. That narrative wouldn't fly in no, Afghanistan. And, I don't think, I think and anyone worth that salt has to know that. And I think they, yeah, except yeah. Joe Biden isn't worth salt. And Joe Biden is the president who knows very little. He knows very little in general. He knows a bit about corn pop and if, you know, kids sitting on his lap and stroking his legs on, on, on the pool and stuff. Don't bring that up. And about, and about you know, challenging people to do push-ups and stuff. But that's about it. And in, in terms of what's going on in the world and foreign policy and stuff, he knows even less. He's not part of the loop. Like you can imagine someone like Joe Biden who, who really can't string a sentence together may have some kind of, you know, early stage dementia. You imagine an intelligence briefing with that guy? Imagine sitting down and trying to tell him what's going on. Would you even bother? It's got so bad that, I mean, it's always been the case that the White House and the president were largely ceremonial roles. Uh, at least in previous times, though, you had a president who could actually understand what you were saying and get it together and stay on script and repeat it properly. But he may, we may, well, have, may well have been told what was likely to happen. But Joe had his own ideas about it. He had his own kind of like, you know, fuzzy brain thoughts about it. And so when it comes to Joe Biden, all, all bets are off. He doesn't really, you know, it, some, some it's a bad idea. Some, I've heard some people suggesting that. I mean, the former or current CIA people were saying stuff this week that, you know, we were, we were telling, no, that, that's not what we were telling him, you know, last month. We're yeah. saying it's, it's happening, it's happening now, and he would, well, I don't know. And I just want to put, I just want to put out there as well, just on, on the comment about, that I made, which, which is absolutely true, about the White House, generally speaking, knowing very little of what goes on, of any real importance. They're just, it's just, a, it's just a, it's, it's the, it's their spokes, it's a spokes house, a spokesperson's house. It's the president is, is, is the ceremonial leader and just says what he's, you know, he provides the appearance of, uh, of, of. Of a hierarchy and the representative of the people and stuff, but that's never been it hasn't been the case for a very long time. Except it could have been something like that, though. There's an attempt to make it uh, what it what it claims to be the White House, which is the house of the commander in chief who makes the decisions and leads the country and, and, and actually directs policy, domestic and foreign. That happened under Trump. Trump, fool that he was, decided that. It says that I'm in commander-in-chief and I make decisions, so I'm going to go ahead and make decisions. I'm going to take your advice from the different agencies, but if I don't like it, I'm going to ignore it and carry on. And then that, in a nutshell, is the explanation for what everybody thinks about Trump, or what, not everybody, but what the media, let's say, how they presented Trump over the four years of his, of his administration was primarily because he decided to do the unthinkable, which is for a president of America, which is to actually take some control and implement policies, again, and if they're particularly if they're against, you don't get to implement them anyway, but by trying to implement any policy, you'd almost by definition be going against the <clears throat> of your own policy, you'd be going against the, the, the policies of the Washington establishment. But Trump's policies were very definitely against the agenda of the Washington establishment, and that's why he turned into a, a pariah. And unfortunately, the people of the world dupes that they are, many of them uh, were led down the path of believing that Trump was some kind of a dictator and that he was a bad man and that's why you had all these memes. I mean, it's almost like going down the memory hole now with Trump, you know, the memes and stuff. The Trump era is almost like it's it's only like six, eight, nine months, but already it's kind of like old history and stuff. But, you know, the memes about him being, <clears throat> that they came up with very quickly of orange man bad, 
you know, that was the message being put out to the, to the world's population, you know. This guy's bad. Yeah. Why? He's just bad. Look at him. You know, of course he had some personality quirks that were, that, that played into that, but the real reason he was bad was because he tried to be the president, the actual president of a country and do stuff. And that's a no-no. And the problem now is we have a, a different type of president where, uh, in theory, Biden would be a good puppet, except he can't keep his shit together. He can't keep a, a, a straight thought together and he's a liability in that respect. But in terms of the demonization of him and even CNN turning on him and people thinking, is he going to be impeached or are they going to try and get rid of him or whatever? The point is, the way it unfolded in, in, in Kabul at the airport and that really bad optics around that whole situation, so they, they can't get away with like whitewashing that. They have to, uh, they have to blame someone for, for the way that whole situation looked. So, well, you blame, that's what, that's what the president is for. It's a privileged position. He gets lots of perks, but he gets to, you know, he gets to be a, 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 he gets to transmit the messages of the Washington establishment, what they think. He tells the, the American population as if they were his ideas. But when things go bad, you get it as well. You're kind of like the defense, essentially, for the establishment, yeah. the president. If things go wrong, you will take a lot of, take a lot of heat, and if necessary, we will boot you, in order to protect ourselves. Pretty simple. Yeah. The, the former CIA, CIA director, Panetta, mm-hmm. probably put that on on a fine point when he said that this was Biden's Bay of Pigs yeah. and reminded the president via his interview on Fox News that when the Bay of Pigs occurred under JFK's watch, he took responsibility for it, even though it wasn't his. It was dumped on his lap by the CIA. Um, with a view to forcing him to declare war on Cuba, mm-hmm. which he refused. So, uh, yeah, I get that, that. analogy only goes so far. I yes. Panetta isn't going to be hinting anything. This is exiting a war, not getting into one. Yeah, and Panetta is not the kind of guy to drop truth bombs, right? So he's using the official narrative of the Bay of Pigs, which, was a, which, which is that it was a mistake by the president. And the president has to take the heat for his mistake. No, no. He, P- not two allu- narratives explained in this yeah, book. Panetta's not alluding to that narrative, which is the CIA basically set up the president. There's no CIA or deep state or Washington establishment setting up a Biden here. It was simply a foobar that they couldn't. You know, it was reckless and it's arrogant and all that kind of stuff. And they should have factored in that idea that you would have crowds of people uh, massing on... Uh, on Kabul airport and desperately trying to get on planes because of, well, for lots of different reasons, but primarily because you were there for 20 years. They didn't factor that in and it went pear-shaped. But it's it's just arrogance, the arrogant empire. Uh, we mentioned at the beginning of the show that the UK Parliament convened like packed house and almost unanimously voted to to find the American president in contempt Mm. And specifically over his denigration of the Afghan National Army. Yeah. Do they all acted surprised that this happened as fast as it did? How, how, why, how did he denigrate the Na- Afghan National Army? Because he suggested that they just gave up right. their weapons right. and their positions and which, their uniforms which to the did. Taliban, which they did. <laughs> so the British Parliament finds... Him in contempt is, is for telling the truth. ...is finding reality in contempt. Right. And... Because, the Brits because he's, he's well. the commander-in-chief and the book stops with him, they're projecting that onto mm, mm-hmm, it's mm. his fault. Yeah, yeah. But then similarly, so Tim, Tony Blair is, you would agree, he's, he's a very connected man. He's the devil incarnate as well. He's but the yeah. devil incarnate. How does the devil incarnate launch a furious attack on Joe Biden's 
quote, imbecilic withdrawal from Afghanistan. What does he find imbecilic? He finds the act of leaving imbecilic. Mm -hmm. But like you said, it's been no secret for 18 months that this was going to happen. What, what's he getting at? It's kind of grandstanding and virtue signaling. He's grandstanding signaling. based on the scenes that we've seen. He's but... virtue signaling, yeah. And uh, and of course, he loves a good bit of war, and he's the kind of guy who, like, uh, he was pre he was instrumental in the launching of the of the war on terror after nine eleven, the invasion of Iraq, the slaughter of Iraqis, the invasion of Afghanistan, the slaughter of Afghanis, the occupation of those two countries. He was Tony Blair was uh, front and center and all of that. So it's no surprise that he would want to say, you know, let's stay forever, you know, because I like war, I like uh, domination and control and. That's his pet project. He's, Tony Blair's a guy who's been hanging around forever trying to kind of stay, stay relevant, you know. Um, and his only relevancy is that he's a warmonger. So he's finding it hard to find relevancy with that as his, uh, you know, as his calling card. Hi, I'm Tony Blair. I have blood in my hands. Can I still be relevant? Uh, no. But he does a good job. He finds some, some, uh, some traction with some people, you know. So these, these Western elites are upset by the optics. They're not upset by the act of leaving. No. And, and ceding influence in Eurasia. No. That well, they understand. Yeah, of course. And the Chinese and the Russians and stuff have, made, have, been, have explicitly said that now that the Americans are out of there, we can get on with the business of, you know, stabilizing the entire region, incorporating, Af incorporating Afghanistan into the region and stabilizing the government there and, and doing some good business together and all that kind of stuff. So uh, the Americans obviously know that, and they've basically given up, you know. The Americans have given up on their imperial designs, basically. They figure that they've delayed it, like we said in the show last week, they've delayed it for 20 years, delayed it long enough to the point that there's a new agenda in a certain sense. And that's one thing that I would go as far to suggest, although we'll have to wait and see how it pans out, but that this leaving of Afghanistan marks an end to uh, Amer traditional American imperial designs in the world because this is the center of the world you have to remember afghanistan is effectively it's called the center of the world and it's exactly it's almost exactly the opposite side of the world from where the u.s is and it's geopolitically has been for hundreds of years extremely strategic uh in terms of the the the, the great games that the empires played and all that kind of stuff so for the u.s to be withdrawing from there and they've already more or less gone from iraq and syria they have a few bits and pieces hanging on but the whole thing there is is, is settling down into a new reality and from Afghanistan was the last, the last kind of uh, outpost. Part, part, frontier part, outpost. Yeah, yeah, and now that that's done, it does definitely. I mean, I can see how it, it would look and probably is a marker in some respect. Now, we talked last week about how we were using the reference of of Northern Ireland, where uh, we had that uh, screenshot from the from the book about the the testimony of uh, people on on. on on both sides of the conflict in Northern Ireland talking to someone in the State Department during the peace process in the mid-90s where he was told these, these politicians in Northern Ireland were told that, listen, peace is going to happen in Northern Ireland because we have a new agenda coming up, uh, which is the war on Islamic terrorism. And this was in 1995. Six years before. He didn't quite say that, but he did say the war on Islamic... Something. The rise in Islamic fundamentalism. Right. That's, right. that's where we're, well, we're sewing up the exchequer, i.e. we're right. redirecting resources to right. something but much it, bigger. It became very quickly the war on Islamic war. terrorism, yeah. so that's obviously what he was referring to, right? Yeah. He was talking about a war. So they were wrapping up the exchequer, the British exchequer, wrapping up British 
troop involvement in Northern Ireland and military expenditure in Northern Ireland in order to redeploy it to the war on terror, war on Islamic terrorism in 2001, after 9-11, that galvanising event. Now, it's, I think it's reasonable enough, it may be, it's speculative, but it's reasonable enough to suggest that this may be another wrapping up in the same way, a wrapping up in a bigger way of this last period that we've been in over the past 20, 25 years of the war on Islamic terrorism in America spreading its largesse around the world. There's, that's been wrapped up and has been wrapping up over a number of years, but Afghanistan is a definitive closing, let's say, a marker to, a marker closing of, of, of that period. Uh, and the question then arises, in anticipation of what? Because the last time they wrapped up something on a smaller scale in Northern Ireland, it was to go for, for, for a new stage, a new era that's lasted 20 years. Now they're wrapping it up in Afghanistan for a new era of what? We don't know. Peace and prosperity, maybe, or just the new COVID era? Lockdowns. A new era of, 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 <laughs> of rolling global lockdowns and a focus on the population uh, and the people, members of the, or sections of the population that may be resistant to that kind of, those kind of uh, restrictions on their freedoms. Is that what is coming next? Is that a new era? Um, or is it something else? I mean, because if you tie the whole COVID business, it's still early days, I suppose, but you let it go on a bit for, for much longer and you can imagine that there might be some significant um, economic issues. You may reach a tipping point from an economic uh, point of view where things might go a bit pear-shaped with the global economy. And if they get bad enough, well then for sure in America and in other countries around the world, but obviously in this case in America, bringing troops back home, wrapping up overseas adventures in order for redeployment back home in the event of some kind of an economic foobar. Because if you do have an economic crash and an economic crisis that is unprecedented in, in modern history uh, in a country like America, obviously other countries as well, but in a country like America, 320 million people, how many troops do they have? Many, how many troops Standing is Standing army? Um, million? Two million. Two million. How many, I think. How many, soldiers, is that, how many soldiers is that per person? Uh, one for every 100 and... One for every 170, 60 or something? Um, you know, that's, you need a lot, you need a lot the, of military resources to, uh, to deal US with is unique, though. domestic crisis. What about other countries? France doesn't have anywhere near enough soldiers. No. Germany, absolutely not. No. But yeah, um, so that's all. That's all just speculation. But definitely, I think yeah, the, point, the point that we're making is that it's a marker event. It's a change. It's a. It, it, it looks like a, the end of an era, basically. The end of an era. Do and you, what's coming next, Donald? Is it? Is it the end of the road for reality creation, in the sense of that infamous quote from two thousand and four? I mean, I have it here. We, it's believed to be Carl Rove, right? talking to Ron Suskin, New York Times reporter in 2004. Mm -hmm. um, quote, we're an empire now. When we act, we create our own reality. And while you're studying that reality, judiciously as you will, we'll act again, creating other new realities, which you can study too. And that's, that's how things will sort out. We're history's actors, and you, all of you, will be left to just study what we do. Mm. 
what is the what is the, what is there a strategic gambit at play here? How does the U.S. after seventy years of doing what it's doing just retreat like that? Are we are we over overly paranoid and looking for the what's the hidden motive? You know, well, it could be positive. It could be a good thing. We have peace and prosperity for a while at least, or it could be something that they're preparing for something. And that's what I'm saying. It's speculative. Mm. And we don't really know what's what's coming down, but it's definitely the end of an era. And as we've seen in the past, the you know one era leads into a new era. What era? If you're sitting here right now and looking at the current climate in the globe and what's going on, what era do you think, or would you would you imagine that we're going into? It's a bit dystopian, no? Yeah, police states. Um, it's a fair enough. Case, arrests, like. arrests, like in Australia last week. It's only a police state for some people, though, you know, and maybe only for a minority of the population. There's an awful lot of people out there who don't mind what's going on, who are quite happy with it, who are passive. I mean, of course, they have an eye to it, it'll be over at some point, but still, they're not really, in Australia, talk about Australia being, I mean, Australia's right now in another, Australia's like back last April and May right now. Remember what it was like April and May? Uh, going out one hour a day uh, for shopping, exercising within, you know, five kilometers or one kilometer, whatever it was of your house, uh, no, no going over to anybody else's houses, most, all, all but not, all non-essential. Don't talk to your neighbors. Don't talk to your neighbors. Don't, uh, now drinking. This is the country that gave us neighbors. Yeah, I know, yeah. Ironic. And uh, so, it's, it's basically back, right now it's back in uh, April, April, May last year, what, what, the rest of us were experiencing in April and May last year. So it's pretty rough like for, for it to be going on because they experienced it in April and May last year as well. So it's like rehashing it. So you can imagine how people are pissed off with it because people are expecting this thing to, to, be, to, to be alleviated as time progresses, get better and better. But when they put you back to square one after 18 months, it's a bit annoying for at least for some people. A lot of people, a lot of people feel secure beneath the watchful eyes. As that uh, phrase, and again, that's like, the fact that I can say that. That's true. There's a lot of people, the sentiment they have of these extreme restrictions on their freedoms and extreme control by the government, they feel, that's a good phrase to use, they feel secure beneath the watchful eyes. Now, that term, secure beneath the watchful eyes, was a campaign that was ongoing for years and may still be on London transport. All London transport, buses, trains, tube, whatever, uh, metro, on 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 the on the billboards and stuff all across the, the transport sector, they had this sign with an eye on it and it said secure beneath the watchful eyes. And that was related directly to terror attacks and bombings in London, particularly, for example, in 2007, the London Tube and bus bombings, um, to, to, to reassure people. So, you know, for me, there's a link, there's a, there's a segue between the way people have been conditioned through terrorism and terror attacks on America, on Western soil in particular, but around the world through the media, highlighted to everybody of the threat from Islamic terrorism. And here we're talking about Islamic terrorism again. Uh, the 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 conditioning of people through those that fear based you know it was direct blunt instruments. It was like attacking people. Some a lot of people died or killed. And a lot, of, most other people were traumatized to one extent or another by it, and that's been going on since nine eleven, and increased over the years, up until two thousand, uh, kind of what was it, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen? Well, the last one was maybe eighteen, nine, two thousand eighteen, nineteen, uh, and then it just all went away. And a lot of people said that you know, since COVID came along, 
it seems the jihadis, the, the jihadis who know no fear and are willing to blow themselves up, were suddenly afraid of COVID because uh, terror attacks pretty much came to a halt as soon as COVID appeared. Yeah. And it's the same fear-based programming. Basically. Even you know, in Syria. I mean, the, the core between the two, the link between terrorism and COVID in terms of how it's affecting the population is that it confronts people in a very brutal and blunt way with their own death. And it instills in them a fear of their own mortality. And that's, you can't go any further than that. That's your trump card. If you're aiming to uh, control a population through fear, then the, the fine, imminent your, death your, is... Your trump card is, is, you can talk about all sorts of other threats, with climate change, this, that, the other, you know, bears, I don't know, murder hornets, whatever you want. But when it's you, citizen, are in mortal danger, and here's examples of it, and here's other people dying from in the way that you might die. Well, that's it. You, you don't have anywhere. You, you've nowhere else to go. You've gone as far as you can go in terms of state control of the population through fear. And you better hope it works. If that's your agenda, you better hope it works because you don't have anything else to use. And if people get used to it and overcome their fear of their own death, well, then you're in trouble. But some people will never overcome a fear of their own death. And some people will always want mommy and daddy government to take care of them uh, in as coddled a way as, as, as possible, really, you know. There's loads of stuff. You can read it on Twitter, read it in articles and stuff. People saying explicitly, you know, kind of miss lockdowns. Kind of miss lockdowns. And it's, you know, that's a problem. For me, that's a problem. When I see me and other people, us here and other people, a lot of other people around the world who are very much against lockdowns and don't want, and, and like like my mom, like I mentioned last time, that she, her, her and many other people like her feel that they've been harmed by lockdowns, psychologically, emotionally harmed by the lockdown process. And then you have other people who say they miss it. How are you going to reconcile those two people? Those types of people? How are you going to get those two, those two types of people, very different types of people, to see eye to eye on this issue? And there's a fundamental difference in those two kinds of people, I would argue. I mean, it seems clear to me there's a very fundamental difference. You have to get into some kind of esoteric or spiritual treaties on it or something to really try and explain it, because it is very, very fundamental, that, that different response to reality, where someone needs, you know, the overbearing, overweening, and welcomes the overbearing and overweening control of government, of, a fa of, a, of an authority in their lives, and other people who, like, say, get the hell away from me, stay out of my life, I don't want anything, leave me alone, you know? They're two different species, almost, you know? Yeah. Effectively. Um, I don't know how we're going to get through all the items we have. Maybe, Scotty, if we can just go from left to right and see what we got. See if it... Uh... <clears throat> well, this is the <laughs> this is Biden's interview. Do we even want to even... I think we nah. covered it. Go yes, to the that was four or five days ago. Oops. No, let's not bother. Um, yeah, Islamic State attack, that's yeah. probably not true. It's like, yeah, they did fund some radical jihadi types in Afghanistan um, to do their bidding. Um, this one, on COVID, this is uh, Montagnier. He's actually the guy, he won a Nobel Prize in 2008 or something. Um 
for the discovery of HIV. No. Go scroll down. Oh, not too far. Um, recipient yeah. of the Nobel Prize for the discovery of the human... Okay, okay, discovered HIV. So he's no slouch, basically. He knows what he's talking about, and he's, the one, he's basically said... Um, before now, I think, but this is just maybe a repeating of it. He's repeating it that uh, vaccines don't stop the virus. Um, they feed the virus and facilitate its development into stronger and more transmissible variants. Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, that's, you know, decades of immunology and virology uh, has shown that to be the case, that when you challenge a virus, if you try to kind of like targeted and to wipe it out you know strongly strongly go after it with with these kind of vaccines but that they're not it's not a a, a wipe out you they're not effective enough to actually kill it what well, all you do is you provoke it to almost from a survival instinct point of view you provoke it to i'm not saying it's conscious but that you provoke it to mutate so the mutations that are happening that are making the vaccines no longer effective and in, in israel they're down to 15 percent the Pfizer really? vaccine is down to fifteen percent efficiency after after a few after a few several months, uh, i.e. that's why they're talking about booster shots. They're already giving a third booster shot to, but that one within a few months it's down to fifteen percent, pretty much no good anymore. We need another one four or five months later. So then every six months booster shot forever. And at what point? I, I mean, by taking more and more booster shots, you're drastically increasing your chances of having an adverse effect, an adverse reaction to the vaccine. Yeah. I mean, people are willing to take the vaccine and risk the adverse event, the adverse reaction, because it's just a one-off or a two-shot vaccine done. Okay, I'm fine now. No, every six months, another one, another one, another one, another one. Well, especially if you're vulnerable or you're in any kind of a, you know, not not necessarily that that you're you know in bad health, but you know if you're if you're elderly or whatever, in even in good health. You may well be, you know, you're increasing your chances that at some point you're going to be one of those people who has an adverse reaction to it. And it could be a very bad adverse reaction to it. Did you see the picture? <laughs> I should have put it up here. Um, the, in Australia, um, the minister for, I don't know, beer or something, minister for Barbies and shrimp, shrimps on the Barbie, some minister in the Australian government, uh, a couple of months ago got his, his Pfizer vaccine. Yeah, on his Instagram, just got my Pfizer vaccine. Awesome. And then just a couple of days ago, he said, yeah, he posted on Twitter saying, yeah, people in my uh, press conference the other day, people noticed that I was, uh, that the, my eye was kind of like not working. It was dropping. <laughs> he says, uh, I've, 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 I've come down with uh, Bell's palsy, which is a, a kind of paralysis of the face. That's a right. known adverse effect from vaccines. So a few months ago, he's like big up and everybody get the vaccine. It's awesome. A couple of months later, he's on TV and he's got this floppy droopy eye that isn't working. And he has to admit on Twitter that he, he doesn't say explicitly that he got it from the vaccine, but it's like, duh, everybody knows it. Your, your chance of getting Bell's palsy, given, given that you're a healthy person, is extremely low. You get a vaccine and it's a known side effect of a vaccine. Yeah, the vaccine give you Bell's palsy. Sure, it might, you might recover from it. Uh, you know, a lot of people do. But still, Pretty humiliating, you know. Yeah. But um, so that kind—that's the example of a kind of adverse reaction. That's one of many adverse reactions you can get from vaccines. And I'm saying, sure, you can take the chance when you just get a one or two shots, uh, and then you're done. Vast majority of people won't have any any significant adverse reaction. But if they're talking about booster shots for every six months, uh, so two more a year 
ongoing every year because you keep on doing it. You keep on you're, you're continuing to drive mutations by 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 trying to wipe out this virus and this ridiculous harebrained scheme to kind of like wipe it out completely when that's not what happens. Did they wipe out the flu? Anybody ever want to wipe out the flu? Bill Gates. Yeah, but has it ever happened? He still wants to. Yeah, he can if you want, but well, he can he can take a freaking short walk off a long pier for all I'm. Uh, don't get me started on Bill Gates, <laughs> or I'll be. <laughs> a fish. He gets yeah. the fish. We need a Bill Gates mannequin here so I can batter the hell out of it. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Good easy. That's enough slaps. <laughs> He's dead already, Scotty. He's dead. Um, so, yeah, the point is, it's a ridiculous idea to try and uh, completely wipe out a virus like this, a, a respiratory virus like this, that nobody has really taken it seriously before. But now, for some reason, they're moving and have been from the get-go move, moving in the direction of attempting to wipe it out completely. Zero COVID, the term zero COVID. We have mm-hmm. to have zero COVID. And the more you try to get zero COVID, the more mutations you provoke and the longer it continues. And is that the agenda then, the longer it continues? Because people, a lot of people in power having a, having a very good time. Uh, wielding that power, the massive increase in power they've had over the population over the over this this eighteen months. So, is that an agenda? Well, there's also Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson and AstraZeneca. All the people who make the vaccines, they're like raking it in. They're like you know they're go, just go and look at the share price. Look at the share price of Moderna or Pfizer or any of the others, and look over the past five years or the past year, two two years. Look at how how much they've spiked. You know. So, but again, there's a problem. In the same way as America around the world, whenever it spreads its military around the world, it can only ever be, be for freedom and democracy. There's no financial interest whatsoever. There's no, money, no uh, selfish interest in, in the American government or the military doing anything around the world. It's all altruistic. It's for freedom and democracy. And in the case of the vaccine makers, it's only for public health. They have no interest in their stock price or the massive amounts of money from the public purse that they're getting from having this captive, audience, a captive market of 8 billion people potentially that they can force a vaccine on through fear and then continue to give them vaccines in perpetuity. The amount of money that they would make from that is of no consideration in this, in this process whatsoever. Remember that. Everybody should remember that, that money does not matter to people at all, especially people in position of power, who like money a lot. They really don't like money. They only like your public health, and th- that's all they're interested in. Just like Fauci, Biden, all the rest. You know, this is why <laughs> I need a bigger fish to slap a lot of people at once. Because that is a narrative, in, uh, yeah. although they don't express it explicitly like that, that is clearly the narrative that's going through people's heads. That they have this ridiculously childish view of the world and other people. Stuff they ascribe to other people. They ascribe selfishness to the other people, to their neighbor. That bloody neighbor of mine, he's a selfish bastard. He's always trying to get money out of me. They know that that's part of human, human nature. Put that person in a position of power over them? No, he's perfect now. He would never do that. Yeah. How do you, how do you, how, how can you run a world? Like, how can you run a human society with people who are so stupid? Yeah. We're so ignorant. It's a blind spot. It's not just a blind spot. But, it, I mean, yeah, and they can get away with it in normal times, but in bad times, 
that blind spot becomes a deadly blind spot. It's dangerous, not just to them, but to everybody else in society that has to kind of go along with them or is pulled along with them and their, their ridiculous, naive allegiance to people in positions of power and deny, denial of the, of, the, of the simple idea that people in positions of power would have any selfish interest whatsoever. I need a wall, you know, to bang my head against. I don't need a fish anymore. I need a wall that I can just like, and a, and a head banging noise that I can just... No, fish is no good. I need like. Boom. Anyway, uh, it's a good thing this show title and blurb says nothing about COVID. YouTube was perfectly happy with us discussing last Afghanistan, week. Afghanistan, yes, <laughs> and beating up on Biden. Yeah, well, we just were like the mainstream media, right? They all beat up on Biden. Even CNN having to go with Biden. You're allowed to do that. Can we? Can I go back to that a second? Go. I and don't then, care. I. I. Uh, surely. Whatever. Surely they, they you want to go to Biden, you mean? No. Afghanistan. It's worse than that. This blind spot, the projection onto authority to look after us, safe under the watchful eyes, yeah. it's critical that in our current configuration of, of things, it's critical, critical that the US president, especially one that's keeping out that other guy, Orange Man Bad, is upheld as the moral arbiter of right and wrong. I forget who gets to live and who gets to die, emperor style. Yeah, and he's competent. And he has to be competent. But but uh, you picked the wrong person in Joe Biden, yeah? What about Kamala? Well, we had someone here, a comment from a viewer. The question is why the media covered all the people at Kabul airport. They could easily have ignored it, but they didn't, and they've humiliated Biden. Mm-hmm. And then in the commentaries, and in The Economist, in the Financial Times, they said this is a massive hit against America's moral standing in the world mm-hmm. and the standing of the West. Yeah. It, it, they, talk, they, they talk about the fear of, of chaos and lockdowns are needed to control the virus, right? We know it's probably analogous for control of people and their behavior, especially if we're going into topsy-turvy times where potential for economic upheaval, yep. climate migration, for real, not like in a fake sense. Why are they undercutting their own core narrative that requires a stability for their own positions in power? I mean, what's been presented to people in the last week is the question in their heads is, what do we need government for? Or at the very least, short of that, we need to get rid of this one. Trump wasn't boldened enough to tweet or put out a formal statement that got tweeted because he's banned on Twitter that this this guy needs to be impeached. Mm-hmm. And he had a lot of support across the board. People wondering, like, among Democrat base, you know, this nah, we have this is bad. This is really bad. We need to do something. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Why are they undermining it? Well, I don't know. I mean, I can't be sure. It could be just the whole thing falling apart because the the whole edifice is corrupt and it, it it's falling under its own weight because they're telling so many lies that that it's not sustainable in a general sense. But and everyone's I, feeling truthy or acknowledging. Well, the truth. also, I mean, you can I don't think it'd be possible to. They don't have, there's not such control where you can where you could censor events in Kabul, right? There's gonna be. Someone. I mean, they don't necessarily have control over the Chinese press or the Russian press. 
they're going to put it out there and then so it's going to get on with social media it's going to get out on onto the twitter sphere and on facebook and all that kind of stuff so then the media looks remiss the western media if it just ignores it all they're going to like why are you ignoring this it, it starts to you know look look worse for them so they have to cover it and when you're given a really horrible situation that looks really bad and it's really graphic in the sense of people falling off the side of planes off the side of American planes, American military planes that were there to bring freedom and democracy uh, without a parachute, apparently. Uh, how do you spin that to the good? Like, you can't. So you have to, to maintain some credibility. You have to actually report on it well, as it actually is. Right? Biden gave him an out. One of his statements this week was that, look, he got, he got truthy. He said, look, we were always going to get out. We had to get out. 20 years is too long. Who gave him an out? Biden gave the media an the out. intelligentsia yeah. an out. As in, come with me on this messaging. Yeah. Of course we were going to leave. We all agreed we yeah. shouldn't have been there in the first place. It's a mistake. It's too costly. It's costing yeah, American but, lives. But that doesn't fit with the American narrative of why they were there and what they were doing, spreading freedom and democracy and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? The bottom line is, like, they were there to see, protect the Afghan people, right? To... to to bring freedom and democracy to the Afghan people. And in the end, they up and leave, and you have all these people, Afghan people, saying, we want freedom and democracy, and America just leaves and says, sorry, and the ones hanging on to the plane fall off, and nobody gets freedom and democracy. I mean, it's like, it just, it undermines the whole narrative as a thing, so you got to find, you got to report on it and try and spin it. And I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, CNN, they were bashing Biden, but they were still fairly, you know, they came from a very, it's a very low bar for them, if you know what I mean, in terms of how they generally report on anybody, any, any White House that, that they support, uh, you know, they don't have to, to to try too hard to look like they're bashing the president, you know what I mean? So I don't think it was, certainly it wasn't, they weren't spelling it out in the, in, in the way that it actually was, you know what I mean, in terms of the, the, the full truth of the situation. None of them were in the history or explained, you know, obviously they're not going to, explain that America was there for imperial reasons and they were never interested in freedom and democracy in the same way they were never interested in freedom and democracy in Iraq. It's all one big, big racket and that the people who suffered as a result were the Afghanis that they were supposedly, you know, protecting and the Iraqis and the Syrians. You know what I mean? You're not going to get the media to do that. That would be a, a kind of more complete truth-telling of it. For them just to kind of like criticise Biden a little bit is really letting them off lightly in context, you know what I mean? In the, right. From what it could be, you know? But, um, yeah, they had to report on it is the answer to that question. They couldn't have just ignored it. They don't own all of the media in the world, do you know what I mean? And it would have clearly got out, do you know what I mean? Unless you're talking, you have to go into some global conspiracy then to well, yeah, clamp down. Western what, media is yeah, overwhelmingly but, dominant. Yeah, but you don't think China and, and Russia would have, been, would have taken the opportunity to make America look bad? Or the Iranian press, they would have jumped on it and, and would have had RT correspondents down there and Chinese daily correspondents down there and putting it up on their Twitter feeds. Uh -huh. And then CNN is like, Shh. It's like, CNN, did you see that video? Is that, are you not even there? Why aren't you there? You're, you're part of the American troop withdrawal. Are you not reporting on this? Are you, are you denying? Are, is this censorship? Are you like, you know what I mean? You can see how they have to report on those things. You know what I mean? In the current, you know, techno world where, where, you know, stuff gets spread around the world and in, in, in seconds everybody gets to know what's going on, you know. Um, but there's there's some good news uh, from the Toronto Sun, Scotty. Um, if you can, the first word is burial. I know that doesn't sound like good news. 
from the uh, it's a little red icon yeah burial costs for Canadians killed by approved vaccines covered sorry burial costs covered so yeah this is good news that the Canadian government has decided that they won't force the people who they forced a vaccine on and then died they won't force their family members to pay for the burial yeah but good luck getting a doctor to say it was the vaccine yeah but the ones that do at least the Canadian government is stepping up and saying you know what that vaccine that killed your loved one that we forced him to take we manipulated him to take we're gonna we're gonna pony up the funds for the burial I mean it'll be a basic casket right um won't won't pay for the for the for the gold lined one, but the, the gold plated one. Um, that's that's a bribe in place of a criminal trial. Yeah. Basically, they're heroes. Those people who died from taking the vaccine are heroes. They're martyrs to the cause of public health. They did the right thing, and they may have saved. Who knows how many they saved? Trillions. Trillions of people. Well, yeah, they'll say they saved generations of humanity right, exactly, for a thousand yeah, years yeah. to come. They should erect statues to them. Uh, That's coming. Save, save Wait till you see it. It's Fauci statue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, more good news. Actual good news in a way this time. Jerusalem Post. There's not much good comes out of Israel these days, but um, certainly not right now when the Israelis are shooting Palestinians as we speak. But um, look it up in case you missed that one. But uh, Jerusalem Post, it really says COVID-19 could be treated for under $1 a day. That's a lot cheaper than a coffin, no? <laughs> and it's not through the vaccine because vaccines are way more than $1 a day. Uh, it's in the picture, ivermectin. Ah, oh, they discovered a it. A 40-year-old anti-parasitic, anti-malarial and other things uh, that's been used by hundreds of millions of people around the world over the past 40 years it's on the world health organization's essential medication list and it's over the past 18 months it's been roundly condemned by fauci and everybody else as some kind of a, a death pill or something if you take it despite the fact that you know pretty much nobody's ever died from taking it and it's been very effective so anyway this study in israel and it goes from if you scroll down double blind study uh between uh may 15th last year through the end of january this year um, doesn't say I think it might say further on down how many were in the study but it's a fairly sizable study and pretty much it's effective 89 eligible volunteers over the age of 18 who all were diagnosed with uh, coronavirus and they were given half of them were given ivermectin half of them were given a placebo and the ones who got ivermectin had a much faster recovery time and less severe uh, less, less severe effects from COVID but that that pill that and that's just one study and there's been several other studies done showing that ivermectin is very effective uh it's certainly something that you would give to people who where you had no other option but you know maybe i don't know you know just sending them home to try and figure it out themselves why not give it to them but ivermectin has been roundly condemned because of just pure propaganda coming probably ultimately directly from the vaccine manufacturers because it's a direct challenge to the vaccines that it, you know you don't if you if you start coming down with covid symptoms take some ivermectin you've got a good chance of uh, getting over it for very quickly within a few days and uh, it's all good don't need a vaccine 
Isn't isn't that a little weird? Because that article says nearly eighty nine people, uh, half of them got a placebo, half mm-hmm. of them got ivermectin for. Mm-hmm. Nearly seventy two percent of volunteers treated with ivermectin tested negative for the virus by day six. Yeah. In contrast, fifty per, only fifty percent of those who received the placebo tested negative. Yeah. So of those eighty nine people, half of them were given a sugar pill and they still tested negative after six days. Well, yeah. But that shows you that people have an immune system. That's the other aspect I'm not talking about here. That makes the not, article worse. Yeah, well, you're not allowed like... to talk about... Yeah, I mean, you're not allowed to talk about the fact that people have immune systems and that immune systems, although we did talk about it previously, the fact that uh, immunity, there's a lot of information and data coming out now that immunity, natural immunity to COVID is much is significantly better than the immunity you get from from the jab. Somebody so, is guilty of medical misinformation because the FDA this week said anyone who thinks taking ivermectin, which is for horses only, they said, is stupid. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not for horses. I saw that so, on Twitter as well. It's not for horses only. Go and look it up on Wikipedia. It's for malaria and has been used for 40 years in hundreds of millions of people. I mean, the level of... Whatever, it's just bullshit. Horse. I see somebody saying, "What are you taking a horse medicine for, dude?" Go and look up Wikipedia, if you trust Wikipedia, or look up anywhere else. I mean, the level of discourse around this is like less than infantile. It's ridiculous. It's like I don't blow up the internet. Well, it's spawned by, except this show, misinformation from medical authorities, which is right. what gets this show banned from right. YouTube because. because we're in dispute yeah. with X authority when Y and Z authorities are saying what right. we're saying. And it comes from medical misinformation from authorities transmitted to the people who haven't two brain cells to rub between, you know, to rub together. And all they do is spout medical information from authorities as though it's, as though, as though it's authoritative. When all they have to do is just check. But there's this resistance among a lot of people to doing one tiny bit of their own research. So many people, they're just waiting. Like it goes back to the thing about people needing authority in their lives and just totally dependent on it. And they just, all they want to do is hear what comes down the tube, down the, down, through the internet or down wherever they get their news from, from authorities. They only listen to authoritative sources and whatever the authorities say, they believe and they repeat to you. And they think that's an argument. I think that's part of the debate. It's not part of the debate. Yeah. You repeating what someone else said is not part of the debate. You thinking for yourself and coming up with your own ideas about things, that's part of a debate. Being a mouthpiece for Tony Fauci is not, you can leave the room. <laughs> the worst part is they don't remember that what they're saying is what Fauci said from this week, but what they're saying next week is different. Yeah. Because that's what Fauci said this week. Yeah. And there's no recall at all right. of a difference between the two things. Yeah. yeah. Let's shoot through some tabs. I want some diversity. Um. After you, Scott. Um, Just shoot through them all at warp speed there, Mr. Scott. Half, <laughs> no, half impulse power. This happened in France. So the French um, COVID pass is kicking in. Initially, they said you could not buy anything in, in malls and shopping centers without the COVID pass. Then they said, actually, you can. But now in practice, you can't. So they have hired private security at the entrance to shopping malls. To not let anyone without the COVID pass into the premises. It's not ubiquitous across France, but in some malls, there's more and more videos surfacing like this. 
It seems to be spotty in different places. Yeah. Maybe some companies are piloting it or something. Um, in a couple of other places where this was done, I think people just broke in and security, well, it's only, if it's only one or two people, they're not going to stand up against the crowd. But here you see it's just one person. So it's all going to depend on whether or not people stand up for someone like that and barge their way in regardless. Yep. Which will give security guy there something to think about mm -hmm. and reconsider his job position. Yeah. And if he really wants to find himself basically acting like the government's Taliban against a sea of people who are pissed off. Okay, let's go to the next one. Um, yeah. We mentioned Australia and how bad it is there. Well, there were big protests in Melbourne. Um, Melbourne and Sydney. Two, yeah. two cities, about 5 million people each. Uh, pretty much, like I said, full lockdown. Similar to lockdowns that were imposed in, in here in this hemisphere uh, last April and May, um, people not happy about it. They had a protest yesterday in Melbourne, right on the border, because I think Melbourne on the border with the two New South Wales and Victoria, whatever. And the, mm. they were they were because they're told they're not allowed to go between the two to two two states, you know. So they, right. were, they were were using that as symbolic kind of like infringing of the guidelines apart from actually being out because they weren't allowed to be out right they only allowed out for one hour a day to go shopping and uh, and, and uh, that specific um, decree is being um, floated in the United States and Canada mm. Biden White House last week said that <clears throat> interstate travel between truckers may be checked yep. to see if you've been vaccinated yep. I swear to God if they actually start doing that to Americans no you can't cross state lines without mm -hmm. the passport that that is like they might that could happen it's all gonna blow we'll have to uh, wait and see Canada did likewise at yeah. the same time and you know what I hate when Trudeau announces this after due consideration with our experts yeah we have decided yeah no you didn't you're all doing likewise yeah yeah copying other countries build, build because back, build back better build back better um yeah, some of them are. Far too many. Far too few, sorry. Not nearly enough. Let's scroll down to some videos in this one. Um, yeah. And there you go. Those filthy protesters. Look at them. Yeah, horrific pictures of people exercising their their civil liberties. It's just, it's just terrible. Not one of them with an immune system. It's horrible. Um, also Australia. This guy, yeah. Eight months in jail. Eight months in jail for organizing, planning to go to a protest or organizing a protest. And I believe he was charged, arrested and sentenced on the same day. I, I can understand him getting eight months in jail for that haircut, but not for uh, not for going to a protest. Uh, yeah. Okay, we'll, mm. next one.
Dawn. Dawn. Is that That's what? last Sunday, but it's an angle they haven't seen before. There are tens of thousands of people on the runway. Yeah. How do you fly planes out of there? Well, what they did was they got Black Hawk helicopters to... Yeah, yeah but you're not going to get them out of the way, basically, so, yeah. that, so, so that the plane could roll. Can come in. Yeah, but it's a nightmare. Like That's, that's that, a problem for... Whoa. It's a lot of people. For that part of your... Of, of your kind of, like... Um, disengagement from the country, the part where you just take out the contractors and the civilians and stuff, that's a problem. That there are tens of thousands of Af- Afghans who want to go to on the runway. Obviously. Yeah. So, <clears throat> to recap again, but for this incident last fine, Sunday, yeah. CNN, the problem is Tony Blair, the British Parliament, would all be saying, well, they'd all be on message. There would be a pan-West message. Which is that it all went smoothly. It went smoothly. We yeah. had to do it. It was yeah, had time had come. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Whenever you got these kind of optics, you got to talk, talk about them, right? You got to maintain the moral high ground and show that you're a responsible, caring uh, politician, right? Everybody has to get in and get their f- five seconds of airtime to say this is terrible. They owe the humanity. Mm, owe the humanity. Anyway, what else we got? Yes, the Mohawk is not approved by me. Biden's presidential scrutiny is never before Afghan chaos. Yeah, yeah, that's just we mentioned that. That's the CNN um, coming down. Pretty hard in Biden. Yeah. So is Trump. You should say Cover of The Economist last week. Biden's debacle. Well, you know, Biden's debacle, it continues the narrative that this was actually Biden's decision when, you know, it hides the whole Washington establishment that oversaw this whole situation for the past 18 months. So it's good to have Fall Guy, though. You know, one guy, dump it all on him, especially if he's an old guy with, uh, with burgeoning dementia. Um, he's an easy target. So, uh, whipping boy. <laughs> this is him countering. Again, he's doubling down on their ju- official July position. Yeah, well... General he, Mark Milley uh, is saying, no, no. He's saying after the fact, he's, a couple of days ago, we had no clue. He's been to too many boot camps, that guy. Uh, there's something wrong with him. Because, uh, uh, yeah, I've seen him... Mark Milley before, he's a, he's a guy who is into uh, critical race theory as well, and transgenders, yeah. transgenders in the military, so like... I think and he's, 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 he's white supremacist, well this is this may actually be strategically relevant, he yeah. thinks one of the number one problems for the United States is white supremacy. Yeah, exactly, yeah, he's on song, so he's my program, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's maturing cancer, uh, <laughs> so we can, we can just discount him. Next... Oh, this is iconic. Yeah, throw that one up there. That's pretty good. Just show us a picture. <laughs> yeah, Iwo Jima. Um, wow, they're good. At, I mean, that was a seriously good troll. Can you imagine ever like? I mean, that that alone says the Taliban are not, and the other trolls they did with Biden with the ice cream and stuff, yeah. the mob eating ice cream and stuff. Um, that alone says to me that the Taliban are not the kind of Taliban that maybe with the, that they were in the past or that the way the media still kind of presents them or people still think of the them. sense of humor they, suggests when you have a sense of humor like that you don't you're not really i mean of course there are fundy islamic you know kind of types and sharia law and all that kind of stuff but they seem to you know and that's fair enough uh, if that's what if that's what they're about and you know most of the people are willing to go along with it but they're not isis basically put it that way um because uh, isis 
Taliban are more genuine than ISIS. ISIS was wholly a creation of Saudi Arabia and basically the CIA. Yeah. Um, just a bunch of paid <coughs> and paid paid jihadis to to overtake Syria. Thankfully, Russia sent them all to the, to the grapes and the Russia vir- did. The vir- but you know, the, the Americans, virgins. Trump is still claiming that he did. Yeah, of course he did. Trump claims a lot of things. <sighs> he did a bit, but not not. Oh. This is you talk about the uh, Biden and the ice cream. Yeah. So that's Taliban fighters in Afghanistan yeah. trolling Biden with ice cream and a Saigon type images from Kabul. Check this out. This is somewhere in the states last week. He, I guess he didn't do it, but he filmed it. Everybody's talking about this billboard. Want to make sure it wasn't fake. So I'll flip it around and show you. <laughs> oh my god somebody paid for that and that's it it rotates with like seven of the rounds yeah. so it's a couple minutes before it comes back that's uh, freedom right there yeah it's uniquely American oh no there's one there where he's hiding go back you, you just go past the sky uh, further on further on he's hiding behind like a Venetian blinds there <laughs> Where you been, Joe? Yeah. Biden been hiding. <laughs> Biden been hiding. Yeah. Well, it's good that you can still... Uh, well, you can do that in a lot of places, actually, if you want. Um, well, in France, you see what the guy who owns a billboard company <laughs> was doing the last two weeks. He's got Macron as, uh, as, as Hitler. As Hitler, yeah. Yeah. Premier gentleman's love of me. That's where Biden hangs out as well. So that's the end, yeah. Widows matter. Okay, next, next one. This is us just going through a bunch of stuff here to see what's been in the news this past week. We won't listen, but this is Lara Logan's on uh, Tucker's show, and she she makes the obvious to us case, but news still in official circles to MSM circles that uh, hang on a second, what we just saw happen in Afghanistan isn't just circumstance, you know, random happenstance. Rather, no. we chose to do this, and we're choosing. Yeah. The continuing horrible footage we're seeing from Afghanistan mm. is our choices. Yeah. Which, uh, I, well, as we as we discussed, I don't. I wouldn't go so far as to say that. I, I think the most rational explanation is that they weren't expecting all of those Afghanis right. to be to flood the airport and and, and so that's, put, put, that's it, wild. put it out of. Yeah. Because if they knew that that was probably going to happen and let it happen, and knew therefore also the result was that it would look very bad for Biden, that implies that someone within the Washington establishment is right. working against Biden, which doesn't really fly. No. So, sure, they knew what they were doing all the way up to that point, but that was the one wild card. But again, it's just, you can, it's, it's not a positive, it's, not a, it's a negative in the sense that it's reckless. They should have expected yeah. that large numbers of Afghans, Afghanis would, would flood the airport trying to get on planes out of there, you know? And yeah. the way that they, they just up and left super quickly as well, you know what I mean? They were probably too paranoid about it. They could have done it much more transparently where they were over the past 18 months. It could have been... Informing of, Afghanis well, about been, what was coming. There could have been a lot of Western media reports of the progressive movement of, you know, not, not in full detail, but the progressive... Uh, Expansion with, of Taliban power well, in no, Afghanistan. Well, also with the progressive withdrawal yeah. of, of the American military and civilian infrastructure in Kabul and, yeah. and, and in, in what do you call it in um, what do you call the airfield um, Bagram Air Bagram Base Bagram Air Base 
you know, they could have had little odd reports, not just to show that it was happening. It was down Uh, to several thousand. Right. By last week. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, next. This is the brother of uh, former president. This is the swearing in ceremony I mentioned earlier. The brother is. That one there getting his head kissed. He's swearing into the Taliban. He's joining the Taliban. Formally. You know, what ta- Taliban means student. Yeah, right. In case anybody doesn't know, Taliban just means student, and it's basically comes from the uh, they're basically religious seminary students, and they're all the the result of a campaign, more or less in the eighties, in the late seventies and eighties, by Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia to fund these kind of religious schools in Pakistan and other countries around, where they would bring people from different countries in that area, young, impressionable kids, and indoctrinate them into a kind of extremist form of Islam that is practiced in Saudi Arabia. You know Saudi Arabia, the best body of America, where they practice an extreme form of Islam? Well, they have been doing that for the past 40, 50, 40 years, 40, 50 years maybe, uh, where they would open up and fund these madrasas or religious seminary schools where they'd bring young and impressionable kids from from, back, from Pakistan and from different countries and, and bring them in in order to initially to wage, and this is with uh, connivance and support of the Americans and the CIA, in order to fight against, to create an army essentially, a Mujahideen army like most people know about in in Afghanistan, not limited to Afghanistan, but in Afghanistan in, in the context of the Soviet uh, occupation of the country to fight against them and to kick them out as part of Cold War One, uh, And that's where the Taliban come out of, and also Al-Qaeda came out of that, and Osama bin Laden came out of that. And to a large extent, uh, ISIS is the later incarnation of the same process that's, as I said, 40 years old of the Saudis at the behest and with the agreement of the CIA creating cadres of large numbers of uh, indoctrinated extremist Islamic type fighters who are all basically uh, anti the West and all that kind of stuff. Because the US can then use them, and they did use them, they used them to fight the Soviets in Cold War One, but afterwards they used them to as targets in Cold War Two. Cold War Two being post nine eleven war on terror, which was a geopolitical war. So the war on terror was actually a geopolitical war against Russia and China, and the, so the people that they had used previously to fight against the Soviets and kick them out of Afghanistan and to control other areas uh, of the world. Uh, in, in, from a Cold War perspective because the idea basically was that in these countries where you might have uh, communist or Soviet encroachment in the different areas within the Soviet sphere of influence it was much better to, the way you controlled that country was by, uh, especially obviously if it's an Islamic country you increase the Islamicization of it you know, you basically have you know an extremist ideology, it's much better, much easier to control uh, because they're very much, and we're very much anti- Communism was the, uh, very distasteful to the uh, ex- extremist Islamic because it was viewpoint. godless, right? Yeah. Exactly. So, um, so those people were used in that way, created by the Saudis and the CIA and, and, and the Pakistani ISI and stuff, uh, for that purpose to fight the first Cold War. When that ended, the first Cold War ended. Then those same people were used uh, as enemies in the war on terror. So you go and bomb them, but. They're not really your enemies. You're just using them as an excuse to go and invade countries uh, that you were, you know, fighting at a distance in a certain sense by these proxies. Now you, after post post nine eleven, you wanted to invade those countries or those regions, and you did just justification for it. And the justification for it was the war on terror, 
and you were fighting a war on terror against the people that you had created previously. And the point being that it's not really about fighting a war on terror, it's about occupying parts of the world in order to wage Cold War II, which was just an extension of Cold War One. Cold War Two again against the same previous enemies of Cold War One, which is Russia and China, and it's all about geopolitics and control of the globe. So that's basically uh, the summation of the last century. Yeah. Next. That was that was pretty much it. There was the <coughs> Wikipedia. That's entry all the news. The reality-based community. Okay. That's all the news that fits to print, and it's actually been well. We started a bit late, but it's been well an hour and forty-five minutes. Are people sleeping? Is that enough? We're done. There's nothing else to say. Is there anything else to say about Afghanistan? About the war on terror? No, about Afghanistan. That's all we have to say about the war in Vietnam. Because like, yeah. in theory, like, I, I expect now they're going to bury this. Surely yeah, they're going to... There's too much bad news going on right now. I mean, the United States' reputation is hammered. Mm -hmm. Just hammered. And it's not just over there and therefore we're losing influence to Beijing and Moscow yeah. it's getting hammered at home yeah it was an interesting it they was ha they're going to have to forget this as yeah. quickly as possible it was possible. an interesting diversion from COVID yeah thankfully for a week or two uh, but now it's back to COVID probably because uh, we're going into the winter at least in the northern hemisphere uh, we're not going into the winter but we're coming out of the summer and into the fall so start what? September September is like even if it's still warm in the part of the northern hemisphere where you live which is like the case for us it's more or less september still summer but there seems to be a consensus that once you once the end of august happens it doesn't matter if it's still hot and warm and sunny and stuff it's basically the fall it's like they say it's like right and obviously the fall is virus season right and that's when you start lockdowns if you're going to do lockdowns oh we just saw rising cases why because it's september the first and the virus knows it's September the 1st because September the 1st is the fall. It's autumn time in September. I'm like, all the leaves are still in the trees and it's warm outside. It doesn't matter. The virus comes on September the 1st. That's when kids go back to school and when the summer holidays are over. So virus is coming back, so we need lockdowns. Stay home, lock your doors. It's the science. The science says that. Virus, is that your prediction for virus is a calendar. the next... What's, what's your well, prediction? What's happening in the next few weeks? Based on our previous experience, which isn't very long... It's only 18 months old, but based on what happened last September, I'm speaking directly from... Well, that only happened in late October. Well, they started talking about it in September when right. kids go back to school, you know, kids wearing masks, all that kind of bullshit, you know what I mean? So they really start rambling it up by September. We go, oh, we got to start, uh, hospitals are, might be a bit overwhelmed coming into the, into the flu season, Speak into the COVID season. Speaking of countries acting in lockstep, the United States and Canada and probably other places, also issued end of September as deadline for, say, yeah. all federal employees getting vaccinated. Fully or, for, or for medical personnel to, to get jabbed, yeah. There's some variation in what exactly they're demanding, but September 30th yeah. is like, it's become this D-Day. Yeah, but I, that's then you have a build-up to that, basically, so they start the whole campaign. So basically by the end of August, once the last day of August passes, and you're in September, then you start the, the cycle of bullshit starts starting. And they've set it up in this way, so you'll have a month, of September, of people ramping up what you just talked about, about are people going to get vaccinated, you know, are federal workers going to get vaccinated, what about the healthcare professionals that we got to push uh, and, to, and to get them to do it, what have they done to get people to get vaccinated, scare them with numbers and deaths and hospitals being overwhelmed, They're gonna, if, if, they, if, they're, if they have a deadline of September 30th to get a bunch of people who aren't being vaccinated, vaccinated, to be sure through all of September they're going to increase So can that. we then boycott the news? For September and just skip to the good points. 
a good bit after. You can, yeah. You can. Yeah, yeah. Right. Or we can talk about something else. Okay. We the, can... Well, we'll, to, we'll, 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 we'll get a flight to Kabul and we'll report ourselves from uh, Kabul Airport. That's... Now you're talking. Yeah. We'll wear a couple of hijabs. Man dresses. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Curtains. I'm up for that. Scotty, can we, can we ship everything out and set up yeah. there? Yeah, we can get sworn into the Taliban too, like yeah, that yeah, one guy, sure, yeah. like the brother of yeah. the... I just want the funky hat. Yeah, goat herder hat. <laughs> I have a few of those. Anyway, it's all good. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, so thanks for watching, listening, commenting. Uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share this video as much as you can. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for commenting. Commenting is pretty important for uh, just for visibility and ranking of the video basically so chuck your comments in the in the section if you can and we'll be back next week with another one another show another update on what's been going on uh, between now and then so thanks yeah. for listening see you next week take it easy can't stop the signal now mm-hmm.